Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Nina. How are you? Good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Not too bad. We're now relaxed. We're both back. Are you relaxed or jittery from too much coffee? <laughs> I'm excitable by too much coffee. Yes, I have had three and it's, it's 11 o'clock. <laughs> All right. Well, look. Let's get jump into it. There are some very exciting things that are happening. I think when the minister in charge of WorkSafe says WorkSafe is broken as far as workers' oh. compensation goes, we realise that the new legislation will rattle through Parliament pretty quickly because they've made such a huge loss. They're broke, not just broken, they're broke. I think it's the first Wednesday of December, but you'll all get a note shortly. We're running a morning seminar which looks per industry as well as to the impact on premium and management not only what the changes are, so in, you know, if you're a meat processor, if you're a professional service provider, whatever you are, we'll look at how it impacts you and the change classification views as well. So the good news is, I think the really big news is, that it's reducing the likelihood of successful psychological claims. The bad news is the gouge underneath, which is trying to get more money. So there's two parts. One is stopping the claims that are expensive. Yeah. Second one is charging a lot more. Anyway, they're the, they're the yeah. main change. You don't really need to worry because it will all be summarised for you at this event. And we've got Simon Booth coming along from ages to actually do the definitive calculations for <laughs> you to make it all work. He'll make it simple. Yeah. <laughs> all right, look, great case, Reynolds case, because this is a CEO paid a lot of money who, yeah, during difficult times, accepted a reduction in pay. Um, she would say well, she, she disputes she, she didn't accept She disputes that, yeah. that. She brought a general protections claim alleging that she... 15 workplace rights that she complains about. One of the adverse actions, she said, related to her reduction in pay without a consent. They offered her uh, shares in lieu and they eventually paid for her. Yeah, but I think she was, so after she made this complaint, they did an investigation into allegations she'd misused her company credit card. I was and then she was that. summarily I was dismissed. To that. I was coming to that. You can get the context of the dismissal, yeah. Yeah, anyway, she did some bad stuff and got caught and she alleged workplace rights. She said it related to her pushing back in respect to the wage, whereas in fact it was misconduct on a company credit card. Yeah, I think like two really interesting conclusions as well was the other allegation she made about adverse action. Like she said the fact that they had given her an unfair offer in ongoing negotiations and the court came out and said very clearly that is not adverse action and it's also not adverse action to ask an employee to provide a medical certificate. So it's I think nice that that it is. And the other yeah. part is, and this is a really good finding about what are negotiations, and negotiations are not adverse action. Mm-hmm. Now we do see if you chuck in the middle of a negotiation, a deed released something and say, we'll pay you this and it's well beneath, that's the type of thing that can start really creating difficulties. But or if, if you put pressure on someone. That's right. Yeah. But if you're just negotiating an outcome, you're still yeah. safe from. So interesting case, good case. By the way, she lost. I think that's <laughs> worth saying. Um, <laughs> okay, this is a very discreet little case. It's a case about a person who did two days trial work yeah, so it was whether they met the minimum employment period of 12 months because of small business. Yeah. And they were shy, two days shy, so they were trying to claim, oh, the fact that I was casual during my trial period of two days meant that that should meet it. Yeah, and there was about a seven or eight day gap between the trial mm-hmm. period and when they were then subsequently offered a full-time role. And what the commission found was, look, this wasn't a continuous employment. There wasn't 
Yeah, it has to be regular and systematic casualty count for support yeah. service. And therefore, under those circumstances, the, the period of 12 months hadn't been met. So a nice reminder that mm-hmm. often we do offer people some work experience to look at people and then we come back a couple of weeks later and say, yeah, like we'll offer the employment. It doesn't mean there's a continuity of employment during that time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, simple. that was simple, but I thought a good case. I think like, that was yeah, a really yeah. good um, analysis that they did. This would be probably the dumbest argument I've ever <laughs> known and employers are run, which is some people resigned on 1 July. They continued to work until December. The new EBA became into effect on 1 July. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. So it's, it's complicated because what happened was these teachers resigned before 1 July 2019. Their resignations took effect in December 2019 and there were two new EBAs coming into effect, which didn't come into effect until December 2020. So it was a whole year past when the resignations so had I'm taken effect. So I'm wrong. Wasn't it that dumb? <laughs> it, no, I think no, it's actually... It's still dumb, isn't it, really? Because they yeah. tried not to back pay them. Yeah, because there was a clause that said essentially there would be retrospective pay increases from 1 July 2019. And they were like, well, yes, you were employees at that time, but you resigned before the EBAs came into effect, so you weren't covered. But it's it all comes to the stupid wording. Like, if they made it clear that it only applied to employees who were employed at the time that the EBAs were enforced, that wouldn't have an yeah. argument at all. Yeah, well, I might have got the dates wrong, but I didn't get the clause <laughs> wrong. That's a dumb argument, wasn't it? <laughs> one of the difficulties of enterprise agreements, and one of the reasons we put this case on, is they're not legislative. They're often drafted by people who aren't lawyers. That doesn't mean it's good or bad, but it means they're inclined to be loose in their expressions. Yeah. And this is another case where someone's drafted a clause where if there was going to be a fight, they could go back and look at the intention of the parties through the discussions that occurred around those clauses. Clearly, the intention was to capture everybody. That would be yeah, the union's intention. Yeah. And as a matter of common sense, if a person works, they should be entitled to the wage of that period. That's mm-hmm. where a court would have started. So it was a dumb argument. But I, when you're putting contentious clauses together, it's worth engaging the lawyer to draft it with clarity around what the intention If the lawyer doesn't ask for the intention to get another one, because the issue is those clauses are capturing, like in a contract, the intention of the parties at the time of entry into the enterprise agreement, and yeah. that is how they're construed. And too often, and we at the moment, we're dealing with enterprise agreements in one particular sector where it's very hard to understand actually what the intention of the parties were and the clauses are so vague. It's historical clauses that they've just been repeating. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's the reason we've stuck that one on. I'm sorry I got the dates wrong, but I'm still right. Okay. Yeah. I think it's good just to think about practical realities mm-hmm. and things that you put in enterprise agreements. I think that's the missing link, that people will put things in not thinking what does that actually mean. And yeah. if you Remember that lesson, you'll be fine. Can I just say with enterprise agreement, when you come to do it, there's two rules basically that I have, which is don't change things when you know they're going to blow up if they're working well. But if Mm. you find ambiguity, work with the party and say, well, we agree this is the intention, let's clean these clause up. So over a period of iterations in the enterprise agreement, you end up with a very clear and very simple enterprise agreement rather than one with these legacy clauses which did have a meaning once and no longer do, but then jump up and bite you later on. Yeah. Exclusion zone, over to you. Yeah, so this one was just, it's just a silly thing that they did. So it was a mine and there was an exclusion zone in a part of the mine because there'd been recent explosions there, so it wasn't very stable. And a supervisor directed a worker to go into that area 
I can't remember what it's called, a stove or something. Yeah, stove. Stove, a stove. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know these terms. <laughs> and no one luckily got hurt at all, but that was enough to be breached because they not only had they directed him to do the wrong thing, they removed a sign that clearly said it was an exclusion zone as well. So It's only a low fine of 30 yeah. grand, but I, I guess the reason Nina and I first talked about this case, because very short, there's no published decision, it was, no, it, it was a magistrate's decision, mm-hmm. was to remind people, you know, exclusion zone doesn't, we use it so often we forget why it's important. An exclusion zone comes into place where you have a high-risk mobile plant normally or a high-risk circumstance, which means people cannot enter it without a permit or without a process. So when you use the word exclusion zone, remember what risk it attaches. It attaches to high risk. The highest risk yeah. for it to be exclusion zone. So please think about it. And the highest control. Yet, you know, like we have forklifts working in a warehouse. People forget very quickly because the mindset after a period of time, the lack of sensitivity to risk goes. Yeah. But it's still a forklift, it's still motorised plant and it still kills you. Yeah. Because people start to become complacent. They're like, oh, I didn't get hurt before, so it's fine. And then people are like, oh, it's fine. And then until something happens, no one thinks it's an issue. Okay. Next case, fascinating case. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, look, this was an anti-bullying decision. The decision is an understandable decision where a person had been treated really poorly. Yeah, I think someone called them a dog. A dog, but I, I think there's a history which is deeper than that when you read the case. The, the issue about this case is they did do some additional proceedings. One guy actually resigned. He probably would have been terminated. But the person was unable to come to work for a year as a result of this behaviour. And what the commissioner said is he, he spoke very poorly about the behaviour that existed before but made no order. Yeah, he dismissed the application. Yeah. I want to just remind people that psychological hazards that have high consequences, like someone not being able to come to work and develop a depression, are exactly the same hazard as somebody working at heights. So okay. if I can use an example, somebody working at heights we falls off, breaks their back, they come back to work, four months later and they've got to go and work at heights again, do we, we just discipline the supervisor and say don't let that happen again? Yeah. Or do we put in a control that prevents it from happening? In this case, the commissioner didn't get safety law. Yeah. That is the hierarchy of control. This case says, look, yes, the two people left there weren't the major protagonists. In the and they'd board. been warned. And they'd been warned. But, is but a, that's all. Is warning a sufficient protection for a person who is already damaged and those people are still present or should there be an exclusion zone should they be working away from where this person is and i just raise it the, the case isn't a bad case the commission decision is not a bad decision but it shows that the fair work commission don't quite get safety law and we do as a group who are watching today and we understand that the fact that two people are present and they've been told not to do it again doesn't mean they won't do it again but the person's already sensitized to those people those people have already hurt that person, therefore they're a living working at heights. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing that we discussed before is the fact that if something else happened and then there was a workers' compensation claim, the employer couldn't just say, oh, the stop bullying order wasn't granted, so that's proof I've done everything reasonable, because it's not proof. No, no, that's, that, although it has the same test in workers' compensation, which is reasonable management action, it goes towards bullying, not psychological hazard. Mm. different test altogether Mm. so there you go all right another little short safety one for you coming up this is our main topic now well it's a very large one then isn't it (laughs) 
I'm not doing too well today. It's all right. We're on to the main topic. Can I just, okay, this this is the case we sort of forewarned during the week about, which is the sexual harassment and misconduct case by a director, another employee, where the business was fined, I think, 240, 250. So, yeah, so there's two businesses. He owned both of them. They were both cafes and hospitals, and they had been sexually harassing about six employees, teenage employees, disgusting stuff. They were fined two hundred and fifty thousand together, and he was fined I think forty thousand. Forty thousand, and the other employee took a good behaviour. Yeah, so he wasn't convicted. He wasn't convicted. So why are we talking about a case? Well, let's talk about it because this is the first psychological hazard prosecution in Victoria. Yeah, yes, that's gone. That is like not well. No, the court service Victoria one was. Court service, but this is our first ever safety prosecution of sexual harassment. Across Australia. Yeah, okay. So it's a big deal because it's the first time we've seen WorkSafe acknowledge that sexual harassment, yes, is an employment issue, but it's also a safety issue and it it's, means that they're not providing a safe workplace. So we're seeing the convergence, I guess, yeah. between the two. And the part for me that's important in this and and like the court services, what we're seeing is the thin end of the wedge. So we're seeing relatively low fines given the nature of the conduct. But they only charge under Section 26. Yeah, which is the management control section for the, for the, the officer. But my point about this is it is the thin end of the wedge, both from the way the court observed it and the way the regulator sold it as a complaint. But within three years' time, we're going to see officers who weren't operational participants in the wrongdoing, but we're officers for the purpose of Section 144 and more broadly for reckless endangerment and industrial manslaughter, being held liable for work they knew was a risk and did nothing about but weren't operationally involved in. So yes. that's that part. And the court's there going, yeah, I don't, I don't see it quite that seriously yet, but yeah. that's the way it always starts. It starts at the very bottom and yeah. gradually grows. they become more comfortable. And... I think, like, had this case come in a couple of years' time, I have no doubt they would have been charged with reckless endangerment and would have won on that basis because the behaviour had been going on since 2014. And it involved more than one person and it was known to be wrong. And they were, like, young victims who they found that although there was a policy, there was no way for them to make a complaint. They had no idea how to... So there was no controls really at all. So it definitely meets all of the... And if we look at reckless endangerment, endangerment, is the conduct of the the officer in this case likely to cause serious injury? Yes. Yeah. Was he indifferent to what he kept doing? Yeah. So how they found out is because complaints were made to WorkSafe. So he was aware that they were not comfortable with this behaviour. Yeah. So it's just terrible. But I think, like, what we all need to be aware of is it doesn't just end there, right? The employees have actions under employment law too. And if there's a finding, which in case they're in this case it is against both the director and the employee, that they have engaged in sexual harassment, there's nothing to stop the employees from pursuing them under the new secure jobs and respect at work legislation. Yeah, well, they always had arguments under discrimination law. They yeah. always had general protections. I, I guess the part that Nina's really focusing on is Look, they might it's have a guaranteed got, win. Yeah, like, it's a guaranteed win because the standard proof is higher in a criminal matter. Yeah. So it definitely would be an accepted fact for the purpose of a civil claim. But in the civil claim, the court's well advanced on the damages yeah, part of it. it so the so damages trial. here for these individuals would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, because what is it you always say about what are the range damages for non-touch and touch sexual um, It's significant yeah. now. And look, the, the other part that's really interesting about all of this is these are not deniable facts. No. 
So these are facts which could not be contested in a civil claim because they have been proved in a criminal claim. Yeah, beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah, so he should watch out for some very costly damages claims. So all the plaintiff lawyers out there, you should be chasing some names down the report. All right, well, that's brought us up to our case study. So Jean worked for Toy Town Proprietary Limited, TT, as a sales assistant. She was a 62-year-old grandmother who worked with much younger women. Jean loved children, played with the kids who came into the Doncaster store and was well-regarded by management. She was a devout Catholic and her views on sexuality were well-known. She made no secret of them. The younger girls thought she was a prude and deliberately told stories of their weekend antics loud enough for her to hear to tease her. She knew what they were up to and smiled. Her supervisor learned of Jean's views and the girls' teasing. He told them to stop. They thought Jean had dobbed on them. Over the next few weeks, they iced her. I'm surprised you knew what that means. As with all young kids, they started to believe their own narrative and became rude and terse with her. Jean went to her supervisor to ask for help. He explained that her Catholic views offended them and she should keep them to herself. He told her it was totally inappropriate for her to be judging the kids she worked with. Jean approached Kelly, a co-worker, and asked her why everyone was so angry with her. The co-worker Kelly said because she complained about them. Jean said she never complained, and Kelly asked why did the supervisor tell them off. Jean said she was also told off for her views and didn't know why. Over the next few weeks, some of the girls' views thawed, but two girls escalated their rudeness. The supervisor, Carl, observed it several times and eventually gave them a warning. Jean applied for a stop bullying order. A bullying stop order. <laughs> my, my early mornings aren't always the best before coffee and they're not that good after three, as you can just learn. So, one, if Jean developed a psychological disorder from the bullying behaviour, would she have a successful workers' comp claim? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it just... It arose out of the course of Rome. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I don't think there's any doubt. Interesting, Carl's behaviour in this process offended. She, she'd also have a number of other claims. Yeah, as well. and it's about her perception as well. That's, That's right. the key for workers' comp. Two, would the stop order be granted? And if so, what relief would the Commission order? Now, this you can see why I put this in, can't you? Because they've already been told off and they're still doing it. They're not listening to hearing the truth. They're not interested in the truth. And Carl's behaviour of not backing her and supporting her in an appropriate way would give, should give a commissioner no comfort that she is going to be protected by any further disciplinary action. Yeah. I think they've not put in really any controls to protect her at all. So they'd have to make some order to change something. Yeah. And so look, let's come to that order. But it's a, I guess, you know, Nina and I discussed this earlier in the week, what are we trying to do with this particular case and why this sort of benign sort of case that came through should have such importance. I think it's because it highlights how people don't understand the impact of psychological hazards. Oh, yeah. And as I said, it's like working from heights. It's like confined space. <laughs> it's the it's same. It's high risk. Yeah, it's high risk. And once someone's wounded and damaged by it, they are necessarily sensitised to mm. what evoked that response. So to leave that person, this, even if that person is behaving well, doesn't change the responsiveness and the reasonable responsiveness because the, because of how a person could perceive it. Therefore, any order would need to exclude that person from the work that they do. Now, one of the problems with the, the stop bullying orders and, and also the stop sexual harassment orders is you're inviting someone to come into your work and put up barriers and change mm-hmm. rules, which could be completely unworkable in your workplace. Yeah. But it is the only way they can stop it and they have unfettered power to make those orders. Yeah, except the only thing they can't make is order money, manager yeah. compensation, but they can do anything else. So 
in this case, we've got a very strong argument that says, yeah, Jean could get a stop order that prevents them from being within a 50-metre radius, you know, 20-metre radius and in any way interacting or being involved in the work she undertakes. Probably totally unworkable for the organisation. Yeah, how would she work with any of the employees then? Yeah, and the difficulty then comes is how much money you've got to give Jean to go. And then you've also got adverse action if you yeah, can start, well, yeah, start that discussion. Exactly. So I just want to chuck it out there because I thought it was sort of an interesting process. The next question is, was it lawful for Jean to speak openly about her Christian beliefs, which were critical of the younger girl's sexual behaviour? Oh, this is a, an interesting one because you are entitled to talk about your religious beliefs, but you can't do it in a way that would discriminate against someone else. Yeah, but how does speaking about it discriminate? Well, I think it depends on the nature of it. Like if she said to someone, you can't do that, you're going to go to hell and stuff like that, I think that would not be permitted. Oh, well, I don't know. If she was standing on the door to hell, I mean, you know. <laughs> no, but you know, like if she started like using language to attack them yes. because of her beliefs, then that would be permitted. But if she's just talking generally, then I don't yeah. think it's unlawful. So It'd be Let's, weird, yeah. but it's not unlawful. So free speech, although not being an expressed constitutional right, is an implied right that people are allowed to speak and to speak openly about their views unless those views attach to a particular attribute, okay, and then it becomes, it can be discriminatory. So the fact that her views are Christian means that... Oh, wait, you changed it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, well, Catholic. The, the, the fact that her views are well, Catholicism is a form of Christian... It's only when she speaks that it goes to the attribute of the person, not her attribute as a Christian. So it's mm. their attribute. Yeah. So what's their attribute? Well, their attribute is they are women. They're entitled to control their own sexuality. If it's being critical of them being women behaving in a particular way, it attaches to an attribute. So yeah, but but it has to be surely like a bit more linked. It can't just be like a general. Like, that's exactly right. Yeah, and and that's why I'm saying to you, it is interesting. We do hear people commonly talk about particular belief systems they have. Yeah. I just want you to, it's all right to do that. It's not advised and sometimes in your values and policies you can say, look, there's certain types of discussions yeah. like hateful discussion things yeah, which are not to be had. Not, nothing that veers into it being unsafe. Like I think we've had cases where someone was expressing religious beliefs but it veered into hate speech and Thinking yeah, that, which obviously isn't a serious misconduct. Yeah, so that's why I've got it here. Mm. I guess I don't want people walking out of this and saying, oh, geez, someone can't express their religious belief. They can. I don't want them to say they can't express their political belief. They can. I think both of them are relatively unwise in a workplace, but it's something which people are entitled to do. It's when their behaviour attaches to a protected attribute of someone mm. or undermines the safety of someone yeah. or both yeah. that it becomes unlawful behaviour. Okay, and as Nina's raised already, always go first to safety and the obligation to provide a psychologically safe workplace. If what I do says something to Nina which makes her feel uncomfortable and unsafe, I'm offending safety law, not necessarily discrimination. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Yeah. I'm just going to go straight to safety law. Okay, does Jean have a discrimination and or general protections claim after being treated adversely for a religious beliefs? Yeah, by Carl. Yeah, she not does. To, to talk about it. Yeah. And failed to intervene. Yeah. Yeah, actually, and the others are treating her badly and he's not stopping it, so not providing her with a safe workplace either. Yeah, so really good. I, I, I think it's a nice discreet claim that the far right in politics would jump all over. <laughs> I think Tony Abbott would love that. Catholic being per persecuted, he'd be okay, excited. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not Along with it, there is no climate change. No, sorry. <laughs> okay, so number five, was there a safety breach by Carl? 
TT. TT. Government employees, you go, my voice is gone. If so, who and what would be charged? If Jean dies as a result of bullying, would that change anything? Yeah, look, definitely there's been breaches. There's clear psychological hazards. There's also bullying behaviour and they're treating her differently as well. So let's just go back to standard of care. So was there hazards? Yes, there was psychological hazards, unquestionably. Some yeah. was bullying, some was unfair treatment, differential yeah, justice. Differential yeah, So there's lack of support as well. Yep. Yeah. And that was by Carl. What was the level of risk, though, just staying in the standard of care? So reasonable practicability, what was the level of risk? High. High, yeah, because yeah. the psychology has What were the controls that were done? There, there was, was some discreet, Oh, yeah, mild he spoke discreet. to people. Yeah. yeah. But then told her off for the same yeah. thing, yeah. So what we've got is everything that's reasonably practical wasn't done, yeah. and that in relation yeah. to her, was there a safe work environment? No, no. it wasn't for her. Was there any induction training? We don't know about that. Was there adequate supervision? No, we know there wasn't. Was there appropriate systems in place? We don't know that, but what we know is if they were, they weren't on it. Yeah, they weren't complying with anything. So you've got at least three breaches of basic duties and management control breaches by Carl himself. So then you just go up the range a little bit and you go, well, was there a risk of serious injury? Yes. I think there was starting, it would have put anybody on notice when she comes forward and says, this is distressing me, that there's risk of serious injury. Was Carl indifferent to it? Yes. If Carl's indifferent to it because he is the voice and the heart of the organisation of the purpose of safety law, TT is liable? Yeah, he definitely was. He Not only did he blame her for how she was feeling, he didn't do anything further to stop it. Yeah. Now, what about the employees? I've got to tell you, no prosecutor would go after those young kids. It'd be very unlikely to go after them. Though it did once in the earlier V, what is the V Cafe case, for where there was bullying and a kid ended up committing suicide as a case. Oh, that's well, um, Brady's law one, that one? No, no, it wasn't. But there was a cafe, really cafe case, Cafe V, anyway. Yeah. So they may, depending on how bad it was, go after them, but be a primary duty breach. It'd be on the section 25. 25, yeah. yeah. So there you go. I think... And if Sheen dies, industrial manslaughter may be considered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get reckless endangerment, you can always get industrial manslaughter as the truth because you, once you show there's a duty breach... And it should have been something was stopped and certainly should have been stopped by Carl. The issue is what was the office of knowledge? And if mm-hmm. the office of knowledge was there, then you've got industrial manslaughter. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Yeah. And I'm sorry I stuffed up. I'll only have oh. one coffee before the next one, I promise. Andrew, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. See you thumbs, thumbs up. up. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.